Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On February 7th, thousands of Haitians took to the streets in anti-government protests that quickly turned violent. Several people have been killed and a great amount of property has been damaged in these protests, which, at the time of recording, are still ongoing. Haiti, of course, is no stranger to political crisis, but this one just feels different, according to my guest today, veteran reporter Jacqueline Charles. She is the Haiti Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald, and in this conversation, she explains the origins of this particular crisis. This includes allegations of corruption surrounding a Hugo Chavez-era Venezuelan oil subsidy program known as Petro-Carib. But as Jacqueline Charles explains, what began as an anti-corruption protest has morphed into something much broader that now threatens to bring down the government of President Jovenel Moïse. The crisis in Haiti has potential to unleash great instability in a very fragile country, which could have big international implications. This conversation does a very good job of giving you the background and context you need to understand events as they unfold. You know, one of my missions with this show is to provide listeners with background and context you need to understand key events around the world and I think this episode is just like a great distillation of that mission. So I suspect you'll enjoy this conversation. You'll learn a lot from Jacqueline Charles. And one final note before we begin, if you're listening to this show using iTunes or Spotify or pretty much anywhere you listen to a podcast, be sure to subscribe to the entire podcast feed. Don't just listen to episodes one off. That way... You'll get shows automatically delivered to you uh, as soon as they're published. Also, if you're listening on iTunes specifically by subscribing to the show, you unlock about 300 past episodes in our archives that are only available to people who physically actually subscribe to the podcast as opposed to listen to episodes ad hoc. So subscribe. All right, now here is my conversation with reporter Jacqueline Charles of the Miami Herald. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. For this particular round of the protests, we should go back to October, uh, because what we've seen in the last couple of months is that there have been a couple of dates that have been historically significant and those dates are what the opposition 
which some call the radical opposition that they've used to call for these protests. And, you know, people who follow Haiti, they know that Haiti is used to having protests. But what's different about these particular protests is the context in which they've been happening and in, and also the crowds that they've been drawing. So we go back to mid-October when we are looking at uh, around October 17th, you know, for Jean-Jacques Dessalines, who was a founding father, and it was his... Uh, the commemoration of his death. And normally the way this works out is that the president will go to an area called Point Rouge, which is outside of Port-au-Prince. He'll lay some flowers and then he goes to Grenaive and then he gives a speech. I've covered a number of these, you know, over the years because usually this is where presidents make declarations or they make news. This particular year, the opposition had called for some for some protests. And what we saw was President Jovenel Moïse, the current president of Haiti, he went to Pointe Rouge, he quickly laid the flowers, um, he went to Gonaïve, which is the city of independence, which is about two hours from Port-au-Prince to the north of Port-au-Prince. And on the way back, he flew back in a helicopter, but the government, the prime minister, members of the government, they were actually blocked because protesters had already started to put up barricades um, along this national road, um, route number one, um, in Port-au-Prince, there were also protests and we saw protests in major cities across the country. And at this point, what the main theme of these protests were the issue of corruption and Petro-Caribe. Petro-Caribe is a fund that Venezuela set up under Chavez, where it provided oil at a discount price to Haiti and a number of countries. Yeah, back when Central. oil was expensive and back when exactly. Venezuela was making lots of money off of, uh, of, of oil, they set up this Petro-Caribe program, yeah. Exactly. So when oil was $100 a barrel, it was very advantageous for Caribbean and Central American countries to be part of this program. And basically, they got the oil, they didn't have to pay the money until 25 years later, and, they, and the loan was at 1%. What they were supposed to do with the savings is to put it into social programs like housing, health care, and other things. In the case of Haiti, January 2010, the earthquake happened. Venezuela forgave all of that debt, and then Haiti started to accumulate new debt. So under former President Michel Matéli, the country basically accumulated almost $2 billion. And so you had both in the country and on social media, this campaign was starting asking Kotko Petrocaribe, where's the money, the Petrocaribe money? Mm. And so you had, you know, concerned citizens in Haiti who were just doing sit-ins, but they wasn't really picking up much traction. But then on social media, um, all of a sudden you start seeing this traction, this momentum that was building. And so here we are in mid-October and there's this protest and all of a sudden people are asking, where's the Petrocaribe money? Can I, can I ask, um, like, what, what's like a good, reliable estimate of the amount of Petrocaribe money that was, you know, siphoned off through corruption? Well, according to the Senate, the Haitian Senate, uh, to, um, the two reports, and the estimates are really about $2 billion. You've heard, you will hear people talk about $3 billion, but really it's the debt that Haiti owes Venezuela today. And the debt is about $1.8 billion. Hmm. And it's that $1.8 billion since 2010 that people have been asking 
for an accounting of what did you do with the money? Where did it go? When I'm driving around Port-au-Prince, I see buildings that are half built or I see buildings that haven't been built. But I remember you said that you were going to build a new parliament. You were going to build a new ministry of interior. You were going to build a new Supreme Court. You know, how did this money get spent? Where is the housing for earthquake victims, especially those who are still living in tent cities? You know, so Obviously, you know, almost 10 years after the earthquake, the one thing, the visible sign of progress is the rubble is gone. Mm. But you struggle to see where where the money went. Is and there so, can I ask, is there like any like forensic accounting of like where the money went? Like, do we do we know if it's like an offshore accounts in some, you know, Haitian oligarch accounts or some some politicians like pockets? Well, the auditors for the country, the country's auditors, government auditors, just recently issued a preliminary report, the first of two reports that they are going to be, you know, that they were tasked with doing. And what they basically did was that they looked at contracts that were, you know, signed or the government engaged in. And it was supposed to be funds from the Petro-Caribe money that were supposed to pay for these projects. The problem with this is that, you know, you tell me that the government signed a $10 million contract for a road, but you see that $8 million was paid out. But now what you need to tell me and what they haven't been able to tell anyone is did indeed that company that's on the line item, did they get that $8 million? Mm. You know, and was that road actually built? And how much was that road really, really worth? And if that road was worth $6 million, then what happened to the other $2 million? I mean, the problem with this is that, you know, all of a sudden you get trial by jury and the jury is the public and people jump to all kinds of conclusions. So on the one hand, while you have the government auditors that have put forward, you know, contracts and have named businesses and individuals, including the current president, his name has been cited in this report as having received Petro-Caribe money for, for projects, you haven't taken it a step further to really say to the public, well, what happened? So now you're judging people or deciding somebody's guilty or not, and it becomes almost like a public lynching. Hmm. And, and I think that's the fear for a lot of people. I mean, we're not there yet, but there's been that sort of building, you know, momentum. At the, but at the root of it, the bottom of it, it's the fact that here's a country that's poor. People are suffering. They don't have health care. They don't have running water. They don't have sanitation. Um, today, the domestic currency, for whatever it was worth, it is in a free fall um, against the U.S. dollar on top of the fact that things are increasingly out of reach, basic staples like rice and flour, which are imported. And people are saying, but wait a minute, you wasted $2 billion and I don't see what you've done with it. And I don't see an economic program. So all of this frustration is what went into that October protest where you had people. It was mostly an anti-corruption protest. OK, and it was large and it was it was variety of people, people who don't normally take to the streets and protest. But they felt this need to go there to um know, say something to express themselves about the frustrations of what was happening, years of government mismanagement, not just this presidency, but previous presidents as well. Then we now we shift over to November and we're at another major milestone in Haitian history. And it's, you know, the Battle of uh, Versailles. So not sorry, 
make back the yeah. battle of uh, the battle of Britia. and this was like the last decisive battle before Haiti independence and it's usually commemorated by the sitting president in the north of Haiti in Cape Haitian on this particular um, holiday, President Moise did not go to Cape Haitian. There was a lot of discussions about in terms of the security and safety and protests had been announced and whether or not the Haitian police would be able to, one, keep the president safe and at the same time control crowds and prevent any potential rioting. So he did not go. And we again saw large crowds. And now we saw there was a shift in the tone. It went from an anti-corruption protest to a referendum on the president, where you start hearing a chorus of voices now saying the president has to go. Because the backdrop in all of this is that the economy is still slipping. We, we, we had the riots in July where they attempted to raise the fuel prices. That did not go over well at all. But they're still- They rarely do. I've, I've done a number of, of these kinds of episodes, and fuel price hikes are never a good uh, move by a, a presidency. Exactly. And so, but there's still murmurings that are going on. You know, P, um, the prom the president has made a lot of promises, you know, electricity 24 seven, um, but they don't come to fruition. So the frustrations are really growing and growing and growing beyond just the issue of corruption. So now it's become this, you know, referendum on the president that he has to go. Now we come into December. The, the country has a fuel crisis. People are driving around. They cannot find fuel. They can't find diesel. They can't find gasoline. Meanwhile, they hear that there are two tankers off the coast of Port-au-Prince. They are filled with fuel, but the government owes $70 million U.S. to them. And so we're going weeks and weeks into this, into the, the, uh, the holidays. Are these tankers now like we, visible off the coast? Are, they were they were sort of visible off yeah. the coast, but people. But they just the knew. Yeah, that, they knew they were there. Yeah, but by the time people sort of realized the tankers were there, we're now already sort of deep into the throes of the of, of the situation because literally gas stations are now closed. They're you know they're closed. Um, they're not you know they're no longer rationing off the gas. They're just like we've shut down. We have no more fuel. We can't help you. And so the government manages to pay thirty five million of the seventy million. They get some fuel in the country, but it's very clear that that fuel is only going to last three weeks or less because people are going to stockpile. Uh, and that's what actually ends up happening. But there's still, you know, $35 million worth of fuel out in the ocean off of the coast of Port-au-Prince, which is the capital. And every day those boats are there, it's collected, you know, there's a demerge charge, twenty dollars to $25,000 a day. Uh. So you're already poor. You already can't afford the 35 million. Now, on top of that, you're being charged 20 to 25 million dollars a day for this tanker that's sitting out there with 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 fuel. So we're in January. Everybody was kind of expecting something around January 1st as Haitian independence. Uh, but we're in the midst of a fuel crisis. So you don't get much in terms of a protest. But now we're coming to February 7th. And that was this past Thursday. So this is a hugely symbolic day. This is the day 33 years ago that President for Life Jean-Claude Bébidac Duvalier left Haiti, was forced out, forced into exile into Paris. And it's also the day that marked the ushering in of democracy, the day that Haiti divorced itself from dictatorship and basically engaged with democracy. And Haitians are saying, what has this brought to us? It's been... 33 years of instability, 
transitional governments, UN, you know, involvement, the economy has gone from up to just down. Today, the domestic currency is, you know, 83 goods to one U.S. dollar, meaning my purchasing power, you know, is almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. I can't afford flour. I can't afford rice. Bakeries in Jacmel, which is a city in the southeast, a touristy city, um, they shut their doors because they say, hey, we can't afford the flour, the price of flour. And in a sign of protest, we're shutting our doors. A little bit further south in the southwest, in the city of Lakai, one of the larger cities in the country, you have stores who also close their doors out of protest because of the rising prices. And the opposition has called for protests on this day. This also happens to be the two-year anniversary of President Jovenel Moise when he took office two years ago. And so on this day, you stand, you see protests. So there's and a, yeah, there's like a lot, a lot going on on that, on that one day, February 7th. On. So, uh, so it, this, these protests that were called for by the political opposition, as you said, is that right? Yeah. And like, how did these protests um, turn so violent? It seems so, so quickly. Well, what's happened, you know, and, and everybody has sort of their theories, right? So, I mean, what, what's happened here is that while the opposition has called for people to come out onto the streets, what's also happened is that people are genuinely frustrated. I mean, there's this debate that's going on within the international community and even among supporters of the president that are saying that it's individuals in the private sector and the business class who are paying for people to take to the streets and to protest. And I'm not saying that that may not be the case, and I don't think anybody is saying that, but to decide that that is what's leading this charge, I think is a real disservice. And it's a huge miscalculation because the reality is, is that people cannot eat and people are expressing themselves uh, because it's their, their stomachs they're, you know, that, that, are, that are leading them. I mean, that is a huge reality. Today, the economy is in shambles. Um, and, and what's happened is that people, what we've seen the last couple of days is that anything that sort of symbolizes wealth, uh, people are lashing out at. I spoke to the mayor of Pichonville a couple of days ago. Pichonville is a city that we often describe as this Tony suburb in the hills of Port-au-Prince is where you've got luxury hotels. It's where you've got nice homes, you've got restaurants. And yeah, you also have a huge bidonville there called Jalousie, but Petroville basically stands for wealth, right? It symbolizes that. And the mayor says to me, I can't understand why these protesters are fixated with the city of, of Petroville. And sure enough, they, when they have these protests, they go up to Petroville and then they come down to try to, you know, infiltrate this barrier that the police have set up to keep them away from the palace. Mm. Um, you know, there have been reports about people's cars getting slammed, um, you know, with rocks. And yesterday was the most violent, I would have to say, because we saw the looting and the pillaging that went, you know, that, that, that went on. So is it that people are lashing out and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of living in this completely unequal society, or is it that people are paying individuals to sort of strike at my enemy and just give you a list that says, okay, make sure you hit this gas station, you hit this, you hit that. We don't, you know, we don't know. I, but, you know, what I do know is that the situation today is bad. You know, it's beyond complicated. Uh, people are locked inside their houses because they are uncertain of what 
lies outside their doors. Mm -hmm. You can go outside your door and you can have a fiery barricade or you can have a group uh, of armed guys demanding that you pay in order for you to pass. Or you can be met with rock, you know, flying into your windshield. Mm -hmm. What has been the response uh, by uh, the government, by Moise? The president has not said anything. So the president on, on – so this started on Thursday. That strategy doesn't seem to be working so well. It so does far. not work. So, yeah. So it, it started on Thursday with this protest. Yeah. On Friday, the president met with some rice importers. And on the margins of that meeting, there was a semi-press conference and where he once again says he's opened his arms up to the opposition and he's asked them to come to the table so one could look at each other in the eye and they can express themselves and, and let's come up with some solution to solve the, the problems of the country. And that the problems of the country are not just political, but they're social and they're economic. Well, the opposition response is that we're not going to negotiate with you and you have to go. Uh, at the same time, you know, they're like, well, you're the president. You have you have to have a plan. What's your plan? What's your economic reform plan? So since Friday, no one has heard from him. He, he has not said anything. He has sent his advisors out on the radio. They've been on the radio yesterday. They've been on the radio today. They've been defending the fact that he was elected for five years and that it is nowhere written in the Constitution that he should leave office, um, that it's not legal and that individuals who are asking him to leave, that they need to, you know, end this narrative and that the population needs to stop allowing individuals to, quote unquote, lead them out into the out into the streets. Um, you know, when they've been asked, when his advisors have been asked, what about his many broken promises and the fact that he's lost um, credibility, you know, with a lot of people in the population, uh, you know, they explained it away with well, the president goes and he, you know, he makes a promise, but it's not up to him because there's the budget, there's the this, there's the that. I mean, I think that today, the, you know, the core of this is an issue of leadership and it's not just the president. You have to look at the entire governmental structure. You have parliamentarians, you know, who are basically, you know, we were referred to in the U.S. as kind of like living like fat cows, you know, they get per diems, they get certain luxuries, uh, you know, we have not heard anything from them in terms of sacrifices that they are willing to make or have made. Because the fact of the matter is, is that this is a country with a national budget about $2 billion. I mean, that's absolutely nothing for 12 million people. The international aid that was coming in there years past, it has not um, arrive. It, it's it's not coming. The money that was promised um, after the earthquake, that money never came. And so, you know, you have a real economic crisis and you have to figure out how, to, how do you get money? So, so can and, I ask, I mean, you've been covering Haiti for years. You've covered many political crises in Haiti. Does this one feel any different to you? It does. Um, I was reminded by, by by someone just recently in the last couple of days that in 2008, when Haiti had four back-to-back -back hurricanes in 30 days and they had food riots in the midst of the global food crisis and Haitians took to the streets and they came all the way from the south into Port-au-Prince. And I remember then President Preval was not saying anything. He was almost kind of paralyzed by what was happening. And you had the international community shuffling back and forth and demanding that he say something. But even in the midst of all of that, protesters were not asking for President Preval to leave office. They were asking for a solution for something to be done. Um, now, he used that crisis to you know, get rid of his prime minister at the time. 
but no one was asking for him to leave. Uh, uh, the la- previous administration with President Michel Martelly, you know, there was a lot of concerns about him. He was constantly fighting with the opposition. Uh, at one point, the country was, you know, did not have a functioning parliament. So President Martelly was ruling by decree. Everybody from Haitians to folks in the international community was afraid of, of what that would mean. You know, would he become a quote unquote dictator or semi dictator? But I can tell you that during the tenure that he ruled, um, with pre- under, you know, decree, meaning as president, he could do what he wanted because he didn't have the checks and balances of parliament was not there. Um, he did not take advantage, um, you know, of that. And at some point, President Martelly realized that he had to go and sit to the negotiating table and he had to sit and talk to the opposition and he had to take a member of pro- uh, an individual from the opposition as prime minister. Now, in the end, he worked that to his advantage. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But the thing is, is that he recognized the problems and he addressed it. The situation here with President Jovenel Moise is he went into office promising to have a coalition government, and that has not been the case. I mean, he you know, even people who are supportive of him, I mean, their frustration is that he only takes advice from himself. Um, He's not a team player in terms of bringing in other individuals that are not necessarily on your team, but looking at how can we govern together. Um, Even today with his current prime minister, Jean-Louis Seyant, I mean, he has their their problems. They don't they they barely speak at times. And today, one of his chief advisors are all over the radio. um, Gabriel Fortuné, he's on a campaign to get the prime minister removed. I mean, he's saying that the government should make a sacrifice in this to help the help the president out. And that means that the government should resign. Well, well, do you think I mean, do you see this? ending in Moise's ouster? Or uh, another way to to put this, I mean, how do you see this situation playing out over the coming weeks? I mean, is there also a potential that things could get worse, things could get more violent? Well, in Haiti, there's always a potential that things can get worse. Um, You know, Haiti is the land where the impossible is possible, but I don't think anybody can call this right now and say, you know, what's going to happen. I think the president um, believes that he does not need to resign, that he is not in the situation of 2004, where former President Jean-Bertrand Aristide was forced to, you know, to leave office. Um, You know, People who look at this and say, "Okay, even if he hangs on, they don't see how he can he can come back from it." But again, this is the land where the impossible is possible. The the the, the problem today is that this has gone on for a very long time. Um, we are now in day six. Um, I don't remember, you know, it going this long. Um, people are, are not just getting cabin fever, but they're running out of food. They've run out of fuel. Um, you know, the concerns are growing even in the international community with their own staffers. People are scared people are putting their kids and their wives on airplanes and shipping them to Miami um, until this cool out. You know, I think one of the fears is that this can become the new normal, you know, where you have a situation where, okay, people start to go out because they just can't take it anymore. But around the corner, there is that firing barricade that's there. There is a protest that's announced in this town. There is a protest that I don't know if you've ever seen the picture. Sometimes you see there's a protest going on and there's a Haitian woman walking and she's got a basket 
basket on her head, just going about her business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, a, the, the classic of the genre, I think. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that is you know, so 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 that is the 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 concerned. Um, you know, the president's advisors are saying, you know, he recognizes he's conscientious of that there is a problem, but they do not feel that the solution to the problem is that he should be willing to put his mandate on the table of discussions. Um, and meanwhile, you have an opposition that really has not presented any plan themselves. I mean, they're saying the president has to go, but then what? And what is your plan? Because at the end of the day, there is a real problem and it's called the economy, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so what's your plan for fixing the economy? Yes, you may have a problem, a person who doesn't inspire confidence, but are you going to inspire any more confidence? And, you know, and, and nobody has seen that plan. So I think at the end, I mean, I, I keep thinking about, you know, what's happening today. And I'm wondering if this is the point where we where we've arrived, where people are saying, you know what, Haitians have to figure it out for themselves. That every time this place gets ready to hit rock bottom, somebody comes and pulls it up. And maybe this time around, I'm wondering if there is a silent decision to sort of let it hit rock bottom but it's at what cost because the costs are high i mean there are people who've already lost their businesses and um and there's real fear that the next will be you know people in their homes um and that if the streets if you let the streets decide um you will get to a point of sort of no return you know with the chaos uh, well, uh, Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful uh, context to understand what's going on. And I encourage everyone to read your stuff on uh, the Miami Herald and follow you on Twitter to, to keep following the story as it evolves. Thank you. This was very helpful. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Jacqueline. That was very helpful. That, you know, as I said at the outset, it was like a good distillation of, of the mission of what I tried to do with the podcast is give you context and background to understand ongoing world events. And this is a great example of that. It was uh, great to reconnect a little bit with Jacqueline. Uh, we met each other a couple of years ago at a United Nations Foundation press fellowship program around the United Nations where I was introduced to her great reporting on issues in the Caribbean. She is a star reporter, an award-winning reporter, and I highly recommend you you follow her work and follow her on Twitter as well, and I'll post a link to her Twitter feed on globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right. See you next time. Bye.